about to be a completely unreliable asshole. Hi, Tim. Hi, Ryan. Did I sound that <laughs> lonely, scared, and desperate? Yeah. Hi, you Tim. You look great. Thanks. <laughs> so do you. Oh, as wow, always. thanks. I just woke up. Great, as he drinks from his Spider-Man coffee mug. Mm. <laughs> um, well, hello, not just to Tim, but hello, everyone here listening to welcome welcome to episode blue 99 fanfare 99. for the penultimate episode the f- penultimate double, double digit episode that's right um of dismembering horror dismembering horror it is the podcast show where myself ryan mcduffie and myself tim aslin that's correct. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. And we speak of it in in the spirit as if you had just watched it with us, and we're all just friends who got together, put our feet up on that table, and kicked back and watched a horror film together. And now we're going to see... Well, as I said, what worked, what didn't work, and what we can gleam from all there within to take on with our lives and our personal ventures, our creative ventures, every aspect of our lives. So uh, that's my also my way of saying, if you haven't watched the film, beware, for there are ruiners. I mean, uh, spoilers abounded within. Mold. So much yeah. mold. What do you... What? <laughs> Because mold's a big indicator of something being spoiled. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was reading but, uh, up on mold yesterday. <laughs> Just because you have a mold problem? No, because I saw a thing where somebody <laughs> was was asking the opinion of what's the best salad dressing. <laughs> and people, like a lot of people were like, blue cheese. And one person kept responding to every single person who said blue cheese Blue cheese has mold in it. Okay. It also it gives it its flavor <laughs> that way. <laughs> I know. But it was I funny because I, I think, I, you know, people... I, I then went down the, the rabbit hole of, like, how cheese is made and, like, blue cheese in particular or any cheese that has, you know, mold in it or that is fermented mold, whatever the fuck it is. That whole question of, like someone just declaring or wanting to know like what is the best blank it just kind of really Ugh. rubs me the wrong way Agreed. and it's one way why on this show we're so so deliberate in saying hey these are just our opinions we encourage and expect you to disagree and all that good stuff you're this wrong a... if you disagree but we encourage it yeah yeah but what's 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 the best song of theirs you know um, it's the just like best song ever i don't know see and then you would might say what your favorite song is um yeah, I don't and have i a hope favorite Tim... song. you know what annoys me in, in an equal sense to the like what's the best kind of question is also the what's your favorite question what's your favorite movie and i'm like dude i don't have one i don't know i didn't have one up until like five years ago until you saw midsummer (laughs) (laughs) no no my film i i thought of enough different angles for like what could constitute a favorite 
and um when grouping it with kind of like something I've loved the longest and nostalgia within it and can still to this day, I'll say Pee Wee's Big Adventure is my favorite. Wow. Film. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And to me is the best film in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but we aren't here to talk about, actually, that's going to be next week. Tune in. We'll be talking about bests and favorites and trying to navigate these tricky territory waters right. we're going to be celebrating episode 100 with some sort of um reflection back on our on our 99 previous films that's right including this one i gotta so, i gotta recalculate some things yeah no we'll we'll talk later and decide exactly what we're doing um but for now, oh, last act, sorry for the chit chat, everyone. But uh, we also say up front, if there's anything else like following up from previous episodes we wanted to say, Tim, remember a couple episodes ago for Phantom of the Opera, I brought up, there should be a Scooby-Doo Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> of course, within their litany of Scooby-Doo films of the 2000s and onwards, there is Scooby-Doo Stage Fright from 2013. Wow. Join Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, and the Mystery Inc. crew as they head to Chicago for Talent Star, a hit talent show in which Fred and Daphne are finalists with some high hopes. <clears throat> Unlucky for them, the competition is frightful as the show is being broadcast from an opera house with a history of horrors and a particularly vengeful phantom that has cursed the show's production. And it's totally a direct, like, you know, just Phantom of the Opera, Scoob version. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so there to if you were there with us then we are wondering here's your answer but i always wondered what scooby snacks taste like um good question i hope you can find out and we'll report back someday i feel like they kind of are like some somewhere in between a nilla wafer and like a ginger snap I imagine like between a Nella wafer and a dog treat. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. They are kind of dog treats, aren't they? Ew, that's so weird. So Shaggy just is into dog treats. You know, you know the canon maybe better. I forgot Shaggy was so into them. Oh, Anyways, yeah. we are sorry, we got a we got a, a big movie to talk about here, Tim, from nineteen sixty two. We're traveling yeah. back. Yeah. So is it so big? how about um in my book? Okay. It is, and right. it, it's a it's it's a cult classic. Yeah. Okay. It's been denoted, and uh, all that good stuff. So let's get into it with our trailer. We're talking about, as I said, from 1962. Here we go into the trailer. The film is called Carnival of Souls. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making. Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the Carnival of Souls. She is a girl-driven man by the relentless forces of the beyond. A new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss it. <laughs> nope. 
Um, new dimension. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like so this the first film. line of that trailer says, action you've never seen before. What? <laughs> I mean, sure. It, I know it's kind of like, yeah, but okay, interesting way to put it. I'm, I'm okay. pretty sure that there are movies before this that had action in it, in them. Don't you no, think? No, it doesn't. It, this doesn't say this is the, it didn't say this is the first movie with action. It said this is action you've never seen before. <laughs> Those sure, I guess that's true. Like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, that's how they. That's how the lawyers, you know, were able to get that passed. You know, so um, <laughs> just for some some context um, into this film up front, rather than saving it for things of note, because this is like such a particular case. This was an independent film made by Herc Harvey, directed and produced it. Never heard the name Herc before um and written by john clifford so they worked together at a um at like for 35 years at an industrial film company making industry you know or uh, psa films all Mm -hmm. that kind of thing um and this was their let's take some time off and make a film with our our skills that Hmm. we've learned and this was their only film like that they made Um, wow this was it yeah cool context um for going into it and after our our partial trailer we just played for you next is our rating per our rating system would ourselves tim and ryan tell tim and ryan to avoid it stream it rent it or buy carnival of souls tim should you or i go i don't know i think you should go (laughs) you see i'm ready (laughs) um this this film, Tim, it 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 was it was so weird. I I started watching it. I realized that I've seen I'd seen it before, like 10, 15 years ago, and my my memory of it was pretty wrong. All I remembered was her just kind of like running around this carnival place the whole movie, and that was like not actually a right. lot of the film. <laughs> um, but that's all I kind of really remembered of it. But um. Sinking into it was interesting because, uh, you know, knowing that we're going to be talking about it for the podcast, I was kind of being maybe a little, okay, this worked, this didn't work, you know, a little too quick to, to decide, but I, it's spell soon overtook me. One of the, the first things that sort of made me like, how would this be a buy it for me? I'm not enjoying the way this fucking guy is like treating her and all these men are treating her are just driving me crazy. Like like for all these, you know, hard to watch. It, it's times. the equip. Yeah, it's the equivalent. Like, I mean, this is you know again, clearly men's man's perspective here. But like, um, I've been trying to you know watch all of this black cinema and stuff. But if I were to tell me like watch a film that tells you what it's you know the experience of being a woman a woman, um, it's like this. This just made this is so got under my skin, and yeah. I was um happy to hear that. I wasn't the only one interpreting it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely. That was my big takeaway too. So. Like this, this whole thing just for me is about, it's like the horror of a woman pushing up against like a, like what society or a, a male dominated society, you know, expects of her. Yep. yep. And it just, it just irked me. But what, you know, kind of like a lot of what we say with horror films, well, a lot of times like possession, whatever, what, what, the horror, the the supernatural aspects, the mystery, all those aspects. If um, the grounded aspects 
take you a certain distance or to a deep place, then that allows the horror aspects to to then also fill that that really deep space. So in the end, you know, I mean, it was like, okay, all this stuff that is making me feel gross or whatever, it is, I'm watching it as a horror movie. And it was, ended up being combined with, you know, my favorite kind of horror is, um, or is it one that just, yeah, really appeals to me is the, um, we always talk about don't know what's up, what's down, what's real, what's not. Um, and this just like, this just, yeah, it was working all those regards. It could, it felt like the best kind of offering of what independent film, you know, can do as far as just there's this energy and feel behind it that you're like, this is just not a Hollywood film. Like, yeah, it was made for $30,000 and you feel that for sure. But in a way that <laughs> sure. only, it only lends itself to it in this kind of mood and disjointedness and just yeah don't you know never have your feet quite on the ground Mm -hmm. um it it moved quickly there was footage that was lost over time uh anyway i'm just rambling now but i i in the end after really thinking on it i've got to put this up with a buy it for Mm. me okay like Combined with, too, just the filmmaking behind it. Like, you know how I was describing in Fiend Without the Face? I loved the professors, that kind of classic, like, uh, I'm a you know professor behind my table smoking my corn cob pipe, and I'm intense in my studies on uh, telepathy or, you know, some kind of <laughs> right. crazy whatever. Like, this was for me where you have these kind of seemingly, like, really straight-faced playing the game, you know, like, industrial filmmakers, but who had this totally kooky side that they got to really satiate with this film. And that sort of, like... Uh, you know, I don't know what, however, I don't know the adjective that I'm trying to describe, but that kind of approach to filmmaking is this one I, I really love too, where like you can, uh, take, take the silly, the bizarre, whatever it may be seriously. Yes, that is true. Like when one of the s- carnival soul people is hiding behind a bush and like pulls the bush down, it's like super dorky on its face you know what i mean like it's it's so dumb he's like peekabooing basically (laughs) but like for whatever reason in the style that it's shot in the moment that it occurs and all that it totally works so cool i mean yeah um i like more of the elements i like that balance of like being right towing that line of silliness almost and like scary i guess they're doing it i think i've always liked that evil dead 2 baby um so i am i'm a rent mostly because i just don't think that it's something i would necessarily put on much if i owned it but it's good yeah this ended up being for me like kind of like those even though it's so it really did disturb me. It's, 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 I can't think of a better word. It sounds hokey, but I feel very haunted by it. Sure, all. Sure, yeah. And, um, and yeah. I think it's just one of those where like to, to own it is to help understand it, to rewatch it. And <laughs> sure. it's just the I mood bet, yeah, with the music. Upon further watch uh, viewings, I would get more out of it probably. Yeah. There's, there's it's a lot true. in it. It's cool. A lot of interpretations and all yeah. that good fun stuff. I mean, I basically agree with everything you said. 
awesome, you know? So, uh, but, you know, I'm just, it doesn't quite get to, uh, bye. And we can talk about why. All right. Well, let's move <laughs> on to our summary. It's basically just a story of woman being put down, pushed down, ignored, taken advantage of, yeah, not treating heard. as being less than a person. Yeah. And it's the horror of that. It's And it's her going, could just be all interpreted as her going crazy because of that. Um, but there's more to it than that. That's just a very brief, like yeah. how I would, <laughs> yeah, how I took away from it. What I, I took mean, away the, from it. the story itself is very straightforward, right? It's what's the character's name? Candace. She has a name, right? Okay. Oh, oh, that's no. the sorry, that's the actor. Um, it's uh, Mary. It is Mary. Okay. So it's basically Mary is just with some stupid friends yeah. who decide to, well, actually, I mean, they're some stupid guys. Also, they, they get them to drag race. She's in the passenger side and uh, fall off a bridge. She's the only one to crawl out. Everyone's like, oh my God, well, are you okay? Let's let's explain a little bit though. The, the important aspect of how she crawls out of the river is that the, the, car has been submerged and they can't find it like they're searching for it to whatever search for bodies and it's been in the water for three fucking hours and then she crawls out Mm -hmm. which is like a pretty pretty good setup to be like oh shit something's up right but she's um she's really excited to get out of there and leave that town and that memory behind. She's mm-hmm. taken a job as an organist for a church um out by the, the Salt Lakes and mm-hmm. um she's staying at like a what do you call it? It's not a bed and breakfast. It's a boarding it's a, house sort of. Yeah. I guess. It's just one just horrible <laughs> horrible leering creep dude uh, the worst is the only the other worst one human on the planet and then not to mention i mean the woman running it too is she's like just un, just yeah she's just unpleasant she's just one of the she is just as much as like why should i trust this young woman you know yeah um there's a anyway, lot of she, yeah well she, sorry i was gonna she, start she, going into thematic stuff go on <laughs> she wanders she's you know kind of drawn towards oh this is after she's also as soon as she's entered this area she's started seeing uh apparition of a ghoulish man staring at her right. so so it's just sort of like is a combination of she keeps seeing this guy and then she also starts experiencing um people not being able to see or hear her and sound kind of disappearing like she's just getting cut off from the world like she so those, doesn't exist so those two things keep happening, and it's meanwhile there's this this carnival, aka the Carnival of Souls, uh, a pavilion. It's an old um, abandoned pavilion, yeah. giant. It's huge. It's like where you yeah. would have little fairs and stuff. Yeah, it was uh, a two stage dance hall, the biggest hey. between Chicago and California of the Woo. time, um, and uh, all culminates in yeah, she's. Big twist. I mean, the, the first of the endings was really cool, but yeah, big twist. You know, she's been dead the whole time. Uh, 
question mark in that the sort of definition of what that means as far as it's not as simple as just like, oh, yeah, she's a ghost because you have all these things of like, okay, but she's talking to people. There's no even within the twist, there's no certainty. Um, Yeah, I think so. There's an argument to be had that the period of time between her drowning and the car being pulled out of the water her bo- her actual body being discovered sh- is a form of a limbo state for her yeah and a kind of in between a, a cool question becomes did her was all of what happened um a from her perspective right like it did did she just perceive herself getting out of the water and having all these experiences and that's the limbo state? Or, I guess, did she, did she actually get out of the water and is, a, is essentially a dead person walking around? I, I think the scene that's sort of second to last scene, which very could have well been the last scene, would point to the latter because it's a scene without her of them discovering right. where her tra- tracks out into the sand and then no tracks leaving where her body fell. Agreed. So I think yeah. that's a cool question to ponder and explore and pick apart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots but that's of it. open for interpretation. Yeah. So it's cool. It is a cool. good horror. Good horror does, and is very different from other horror films at the time. You think of it like mm-hmm. you had, you know, a little six years later, Night of the Living Dead, and but um, but even that, and then all the kind of um, sci-fi really movies. Six years later, sixty-eight is Night of the Living Dead. Pretty sure, yeah. Damn. Um, he saw he is inspired by, or you know, totally. saw this film. No question. I don't know. I don't know. Inspired by, but um, uh. No, but yeah, so you had these kind of sci-fi films and then you had Psycho a couple of years before, you know, films like that. Mm-hmm. But all those are examples of just, you know, straight lace, not straight lace, but just in our reality. There's no there's no melding of that kind of what's yeah. what's real and what's I, not. I, I would equate this closest to The Outer Limits, which came out a year after this. It's got that, that was the overarching vibe to me. Definitely, yeah, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone have been, like, yeah. point of reference for this film. What, when did Twilight Zone come out? I'm going to look it up. It came out in, oh, 59. So Twilight Zone had been around for a few years. So, okay. You know, it's got that It's got that going on. It's Yeah. There's a similar tone and style. Right before the kind of... Um, the 60s, as we kind of think of it, culture. Totally came down so almost it feels it feels both dated and not in that way you know yeah yeah um great all right well let's move on to next section here all right here we go what worked what worked what worked for you what worked for you (laughs) (laughs) it worked like a charm smith (laughs) what worked Well, I think kind of a lot. We were already kind of jumping onto it. <laughs> yeah, I that, mean, I was just listing things. Yeah, that that vibe, that eerie. What is reality? You know, uh, the gra- the the un unsolid ground, 
under our feet thing is so it's so the first episode of the twilight zone it's you know what i mean like that is that same it's in a broad sense it's that same construct of the the individual stepping into a world that feels totally uh wrong and yeah. and not like not even necessarily because there's something overtly obviously going on but that it's just a it's a feeling that things aren't right if anybody doesn't remember the first episode of twilight zone is the one where the guy is walking down finds himself walking down the street and in the middle of kind of nowhere and he goes into a diner and there's nobody there and he's like oh that's weird and then he walks into town and the town is totally deserted and there are mannequins around he thinks it's a person and then he spends the whole time he kind of just goes mad realizing that he might be the only person on earth anymore that everybody well, just disappeared well, sh- she doesn't even have that context she's going mad in a way where it's like she simultaneously is being around people is also being communicated to her this is you are the problem here it's not everyone else sure you know which is really the deep horror and yeah yeah but i think that the 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 overt construct is the idea of the individual being going mad slowly because the world around them is is different you know like <laughs> is something's up right but it's, it's and they this can't is... and they can't get any they can't get an answer and they can't get their point of view across and they're both whether it's you know people being gone or seeing ghosts and getting gaslit like she does or whatever yeah. it's um all a metaphor for just kind of like there's our world is not ideal. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> pushing it, up it, is, that. it is quite relevant, you know, as in the context of, of the voices that we see today in 2020 um, coming to the forefront finally and being being able to say, yo, <laughs> like I exist and I deserve to exist and deserve to be treated with some semblance of respect and equity. And it's so amazing to kind of watch something that's 60 years old. Cause like you could equate it to the civil rights movie. You could equate it to LGBT, uh, you know, disenfranchisement, all like any disenfranchised group or marginalized group, maybe is a better term. Uh, I'm sure has felt this exact feeling, right? Walking through a world that either doesn't respect you, is trying to take advantage of you, uh, or disregards you. I mean, we all feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very fucking scary thing, especially for somebody like, you know, you and I, (laughs) white dudes, who spent most of our lives never really having that anything close to that experience and so what's really freaky to me and probably the the bigger broader grandest horror of this is the idea that white people are going to watch a movie like this and be like oh this is scary it it must be so off it's so awful i'm i'm relating to this this concept of what it might be like to not feel like you exist for the first time while watching a movie it's like meanwhile (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. There's 
millions of people in over the all of history and up to today that have been experiencing that horror firsthand every day of their lives. That to me is like the true horror of this type of movie. It's I just I just zoom out even further like but what are all those problems indicative of and it's at its at its core you have a world that doesn't value anyone outside of their economic input, you know, outside right. of, and that's, yeah. I don't know. I, God, I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to we compare could... my woes. Sorry. I, I'm just saying I, I related to this personally, you know, too. Sure. like just, I, you, you describe being not seeing the world, you know, I, we all, they're, they're universal horrors within, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody has, falls on a spectrum of, of their experience of that, you know. I just think, yeah, I mean, this is just, the world is crazy at large, and and well, she's constantly being, like, told, to treat it as a, a poor little thing, and, that's and right. going along with that. Or the, the, the guy, what's the guy's name, John? Douchebag McGee? Yeah, so he's the, he's like put, worst fucking putting human. things in perspective of like, oh, poor me, I'm going to be lonely tonight, you know, as if like that's her problem. Yeah. Um well, it you know what it, it what it is too, which is so dis, just disgusting and why that character is just ugh, on all fronts is that it's this sort of purveyance of the commodification of humans in in the realm of a patriarchal society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that is fucking gross. But and, and but then the tension point for her is she's so desperately lonely. So she's constantly wrestling with like, do well, I yeah. do am I willing to accept this for any kind of connection? Well and, and is I think that it's, is that it's connection if too, it's not honest, right? you know? There's there's like, the fear element to how she's responding because of the fact that she's got this specter following her around and she's like, it's so fucked up because it's almost like, I mean, it is like she's saying at this point, I'm so scared. I'll take douchebag McGee to keep me company. Which she does. She says, actually, I will. If you're going to be giving me, uh, escorting me home, then I will go with you. Right. <laughs> is what she decides. Like, imagine that. I'm going to, I'm basically, it's sort of like the, um, the scorpion in the, What's that that thing? It's a I don't scorpion know, in the frog is, or something like that. She is it's basically like she, saying, I'm so scared of you that I'm going to let you walk me home. You know, like. Kind of, yeah. But it's a, like she knows his nature and she knows what he wants, but she has a bigger, you know, issue to deal with, which is the the greater world around her is, you know, closing in. Yeah, yeah. That's scary. And, <laughs> It fucking sucks for her. When you, you started off all this just by describing like a certain mood that's pervasive mm -hmm. in it all and feel. And what's so cool is I think that's just being supported, hit at from like every single angle. Like didn't mention up front the music. That's just this like super haunting organ score. Yeah. And then we have all the the casting of these people who are like not these Hollywood looking types. Not at very all. Very particular. And then you have what we already said, where like 
everyone down to like the doctor and the guy and the, the the minister and the guy at the um drinking fountain who like like is totally just getting up in her face but is like oh i just wanted a glass of water you have everyone just kind of like it's like ah just get away from me for yeah. a sec you have the and spread i as soon as i was out. everyone just spread out I got I was so mad at John at the beginning when he's like, hey, how about some coffee? eh?" And he just sits down in the middle of the couch. Like, what? I hate that. Dude, I hate the second that. he pushes his way in the first time we meet him and he just pushes his way into her Ugh. room and stands there. I was like, oh, no. Just I get fucking out. hate you. Um, but th- then you also have just like from the get go of the the really bad looping in that like first scene. Oh, yeah. That like, was fucking weird. But like even that, it just has it 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 works for it. Like, and then even like you know they they stole some shots in department stores. Is the way that that is <laughs> the whole inspiration for the film was this location. Like yeah. that has this feel. The way that the the ghoul makeup is like every single aspect of this is just it's it's just working for it. It's working for it. It's so cool. Well, and the photography helps all of those things mm. along too. The photography is fucking beautiful i mean i love that when i first really noticed it was that shot where um it's so good it's like i think it's the first time we see the soul ghoul face um in in the moving car like outside the window looking in at her yeah that was just like i mean i i went ah you know it was great (laughs) but um but how that was every time he showed up i was like ah yeah, how that was that first, that's when I noticed. I'm like, oh, this is for their super small crew, whatever they Dude, do. That's very well lit. Like, just, that looks really I, great. I tried to figure out how they accomplished the, not necessarily the shot of the ghoul, but the racking focus to her reflection in that window. I couldn't figure out whether or not it's, it's in camera or if yeah. it was a comp like the ghoul is sort of a comp it's like a what would you call it? they're laying two things over each other mm-hmm. um but regardless that <laughs> when they rack from her to her reflection it is it's perfect looking yeah i mean it's stunningly perfect looking i was like whoa how the fuck God, just like all those shots of her wandering through the carnival pavilion. Yeah. Just there's one shot that is all of the archways and pillars of the pavilion that she's and it's all in silhouette. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing the dry lake bed essentially off in the distance and everything in the foreground is the framing of the pillars and the and the arches and, and her and it's all just silhouette. So it's super, super high contrast. It is such a beautiful fucking shot. Mm. I would, fr- mm. I would, without question, take a picture of that and frame it and put it on my wall. Cool. It is. <laughs> it's like the greatest thing ever. There's something I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a matter of the the types of lenses that they used or the I don't know what it is. The post processing of the actual film stock, but like. There's something about this particular era of the photography and the I, – I think because it's in black and white, I kind of had this thought about um, Eyes Without a Face too. There's a real unreality to it where I'm it's, like this, you know, it feels removed because it's black and white, but like it's 
I don't know. I don't know actually how it's to describe good. It's, this. It's, it's, it's later era film quality black and white. It's not yeah. like the 1930s black and right. white film quality. It's this, there's, it's really vivid and detailed. Like you know these, you know, films I, from this around 1960 in black and white. I think a part of it as well, one of the things I think I'm, I'm realizing I'm responding to is a really, really long depth of field. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is that means that there's a in the space that's being photographed the depth of field being long causes like most things to be in focus right in a depth way so i think that creates this kind of because our eyes work that way pretty well but camera lenses don't often like it unless you're specifically going for that setting in the in the in the our lens. eyes actually don't don't work that way very well. Like I'm looking at you on my phone right now, and the 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 my 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 it, thing that's you know a few feet behind it is out of focus. True. Like, <laughs> in in close proximity, our eyes Sorry, don't do it well. T- totally aside the point. Sorry. But in if you were to just stand in a room and look out, a lot of that would be in focus. Your eyes can kind of make that happen. So. What it does, I think when you have a long, a deep focus um, or deep depth of field, long depth of field, whatever, um, and everything in the image that we're watching is in focus, even though there's depth to it, that it creates this strange crispness mm-hmm. that, I don't know, just aesthetically has an effect. I, I don't mm-hmm. even know how to describe the effect, but I really personally like that effect it's like sharp 35 millimeter versus 16 millimeter a lot of yes. times when we, when we think black and white we automatically have the association with 16 millimeter black and white of like you know an industry or you know whatever non-film film right non, non-movie film or so like, i just think i think you know that there's an aesthetic that is super pleasing and then you put it in this world that they've created and it becomes even more freaky and cool and pleasing and whatever etc etc um i think the moment where i was like the film really really won me over in the horror sense was this the big centerpiece dance the big dance macabre when she's Mm -hmm. on the organ in the church and it's just kind of this this like frenetic dream like just she's pounding away playing the organ she slipped in and then uh and then we just get the visual of all these ghouls and ghosts at the carnival dancing in fast motion and it's just got this like <laughs> oh god it's it's like you know dancing skeletons or something it's it's like even even more just kind of unnerving than that it's it's kind of you know the our you know how it, it can be difficult for us to think of, you know, death as a celebration in a culture that, you know, doesn't do that at all kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. There's just it's really brought up something, something deep and unnerving those visuals. And then of course, just as a scene, then culminating to her being, you know, asked to being uh, let go because she's playing like, not, he doesn't say <laughs> the devil. He doesn't say the devil's music. I forget what he says. He says something like, you know, tarnished music or i forget what he says yeah it's but it's some it's some veiled you know you can't you can't actually express yourself 
<laughs> no, that's what he wants, but he Well, that, in th- in a non-Christian whatever. Well, that was that was something way. I thought it was so I only realized it thinking about it after the fact, but it really works in it is like you do the classic, you have someone who is not religious or spiritual at all. It not just to the point of being just kind of like, oh, not into it. She's kind of like actively anti it like she makes a point and kind of bases her identity on like oh trust me i'm not going to the church because i'm religious you know i don't know because i like the church you know she's she's not just like oh yeah it's just a job she's like it's just a job you know <laughs> like, right, right. taking it to that extent so just that classic kind of having that character be put in a supernatural situation it's just like watching that person breakdown you know <laughs> yeah God. and, and you know the, the trailer said to us <laughs> you know walking the tightrope between heaven and hell yeah <laughs> i guess that's what she was doing yeah exactly <laughs> um some little touches too i thought were so cool you had um the both the both of the big times when she's walking around the world and no one can see or hear her and sound disappears for her. It's interesting. Both times she snaps back is she uh, is because of a bird chirping. Yep. R- really interesting. Uh, that was you know intentional. Yeah, I wonder what my yeah. read on that is. I don't know, but something it's, about it's cool. nature. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, nature being the. Um, actually, I was watching someone talk about this film afterwards, comparing it to this was like uh, David Lynch loved this movie and was talking about Twin Peaks. Hmm. How in a lot of films you have um, or things that are, you know, going to bizarre territory, you have the in-between character. So in Twin Peaks, it's like the log lady is kind of hmm. the bridge between two worlds. And uh, I think often uh, nature is that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 So. Well, you know, my love of crows and ravens, they are I mean, considered the in-between, you know, the bird or the whatever spirit that flies between the two I lo- right. worlds. I love the kind of like reading about the Native American interpretations on mm-hmm. what nature means and telling stories of like, you know, it's not a crow, it's then crow met fox and right, know, right. as these um, as these totem and energy totems. It's cool. Yep. Uh, God, yeah, the location that inspired it was great, great, great. Um, yes, yeah, so the big middle dance scene. I don't know, man. I don't for something I loved so much. Like it was, it was, it was quick and to the point too. Like uh, seventy something minutes, I think, is the ending time. Even though I'll get into things of note, there was originally longer, but hmm. like it works. Like I remember watching it whenever I did before and not being too into it or feeling like it was long or whatever. And it was great stepping into it this time and it feeling anything but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the minister calls it sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. Sacrilegious music. <laughs> Dude, calm down, bro. Like take it easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, for me, the, the real six, well, there's many successes, I guess, but one of the things that's most successful in giving us the the creeps, <laughs> giving me the creeps, I guess, was the depiction of men's interaction with her. Every, I mean, that's what we, that was the first thing I said up front. No, I that's know. like the horror that uh, every, oh God, yeah. And I, I just wanted to give a, another example of of how they do that that really was poignant, I think. 
I mean, all of it's great, but the first guy that she interacts with, um, the the church guy who recommended her for the the other job, mm-hmm. he gets up on her and he's he's all over her. He stands like right against her shoulder. He puts his hands on her shoulders. He's like pushing his face like over her shoulder from behind and like talking to her from it. Like everything about that immediately made me go, oh fuck. Do you mean, was it a church guy or do you mean, wasn't it like a, a whole organ parlor it's, or like a, it's the, like an organ warehouse? That's right. Kind yeah. Of place? Yeah. The, the guy who, yes, he he's has an organ recommended vendor. her to the church. <laughs> yeah. I guess he's an organ dealer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Um, that, no, right? That, so there was even a deleted moment where uh, like someone else saunters in toward the end and like they say to each other like just with a, they call her like, oh, poor little thing. Like, you know, just that like she's not a person. Ugh. She's just like a pet, like a yeah. little thing. Yeah. Um, Another individual confused, yeah. moment. There's there's a couple with John. Obviously, they're all Oh, gross. my God. Gross. Can I say the one that I think I kept thinking of you? Like, I wish I was watching it with you sure. because of how just like not distracting it was, but just like, <laughs> ah, was when they're when he yeah gives her no room to sit next to her on the couch and it's her shot. And you see his hand is just like right, like <laughs> on slash next to her, like, <laughs> like the whole time. And it's just kind of like awkward and there and like what is she thinking about she like moves a little and he's just his hand is you just can't look away from what his hand is doing (laughs) she goes she reaches over to look out the window and she has to like move her arm up and over his arm because it's like (laughs) there it's just there and she like tries it and he just kind of leaves it there and he like moves it a little bit to get out of the way but not really (laughs) just kind of leaves it it's dude that whole scene the coffee scene it's so it's so gross to watch he's it's it's, i mean to his credit he's he's really good at being gross yeah he's um it was it's also like how that scene starts too it's like after we're so on board like okay she's she's should be cutting this guy out more but she's doing it and at least she's you know not not putting up with him too too much kind right. of thing. She's putting her foot down somewhat. Um, she's just a little disconcertingly cheery when it, when he first walks in. Like, wait, you're really like being this nice to him yeah. after all that. But you really see that that is. It feels like it's the only time in the movie and the last time in the movie where she's trying to put on a normal face. That's right. She's essentially... Sorry, quote-unquote normal, an accepted face. That's right. She is kind of rotely behaving the way that the society has told her to behave. Mm-hmm. That's... And I, and I could... And then once I start looking at it from that angle of, like, new morning, new day, I'm just going to try to put my visions I've been seeing and my nightmares outside of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, John, <laughs> you know, it, it just made it this other level of disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think women have been told that that's the way you go about your life. You, mm-hmm. you, you let it all, you let it all slide because you have to. Mm-hmm. It's so fucked up. Anyway, I like the moment when she's like, let me wash those, those mugs for you and he's like i don't want to you know it will just ruin the taste for later yeah what (laughs) 
you <gasps> fucker. He's so gross. Like everything about everything he does and says is just so like. Bleh. I mean, yes, and that is also great. Like his character because of that. You know, yeah, like yeah. The, the way he is the added dimension. I don't know. I mean, I want to know what the way the, where like, he was how like they um, put him together. You know what I mean? The, like, how he, much of that was writing? How much of it was directing? How much was it him bringing shit to it? Like, he cracked me up to just the way where he's some of his lines were. Uh, he's like, oh, I don't know about any of those big fancy words. I just live in a <laughs> yeah. work in a warehouse kind of guy. <laughs> you know, I'm just he an has average that Joe. That whatever that accent is, just is great. It I me think up it's too. called fifties douche. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's not regional. It's like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, what's going on? Technically, hey. that that vocal style is called Mid Atlantic, which is okay. a made up dialect. <laughs> Got it. Which is kind of has a cool and interesting history. There's a couple fun. Uh, what do you call that? Little video essays on Mid Atlantic. If you want to mm-hmm. get into dialects. Um, anyway, so he. Uh, so I like that. I like um, the. The first time she loses her hear her hearing her her connection to the world, um, the department store stuff in particular is so fucking good, as you said. Um, but all in all, what it makes me realize too is just like how captivatingly interesting she is. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, you know. That's what I should have said up front when I was saying like all the aspects and I said casting, but I should have specifically mentioned her too. I she mean, carries she didn't it. do anything else. She, no. I mean, you know, like she was, she in was a couple a, little things here and she's there. She's but... whatever it means, a Strasbourg trained actor, like fresh out of that school. Yeah. Which um, I went to. Cool. <laughs> but man, even just the, the aspect of how her eyeballs... <laughs> <laughs> essentially because she they are her eyes are a little bit set wide on her face and the angles of her face she's got a very angular face as well i don't know if this is something that is actually happening to her, like to her but her irises or the the actual eyeball of her eye or the, the color of her eye the the middle of her eye whatever you want to call it they they don't very often especially in three-quarter uh, profile they don't look like they're both looking in the same direction they look like one eye is slightly looking outward to the other and it just man it creates a very very strange sense of like disconnect she almost doesn't feel real She's has this quality to her. I'm trying to think of how to describe it too, where it's someone who you feel like they should just their default or their strength is sort of carrying like a certainty or a confidence or something or like an assuredness. Yet she's in the face of everything going against that, you know? So I think what's happening, which I think is super fascinating. She's actually doing nothing. She's doing the exact same thing we talked about that Scarlett Johansson is doing in Under the Skin. She's Mm -hmm. at almost pure neutral almost all of this film. There are times, obviously, when she gets expressive and she's doing stuff. But the vast majority of the time, she is just neutral-faced, relaxed, 
eyes open, looking forward. And I think we, because of the context of the film and the vibe and the tone and all those things and the shit that's going on around her, are inserting this these elements to what we think is going on with her. And it's, well, and it's really fascinating it, to watch because I was struck uh, often throughout. I was like, holy shit, it's it's so much like under the skin in a lot of ways in just that element of like her demeanor. I mean, even if that's just, you know, the kind of thing that happens, whether it's her or, or ScarJo, it's like um, it, it, it has to be, though, that they, they both have very different qualities as people and actors that sure. just are kind of inherent. So it is just I was just trying to think of like how what is it about her that's like. I, I don't know, just this makes her just plug in so well for this kind of story. And that's why I was thinking in terms of like, yeah, yeah. how she carries herself well, just I, as I, a person. I think since I didn't know the, the Strasbourg angle, but I, I can tell you something about the Strasbourg stuff. In that um, acting method, one of the, the first tenet of that acting method is to practice being totally relaxed. And so there's this whole set of exercises where you you sit in a chair and you're kind of off to one side so that you're sitting out of your normal comfort, right? Like you're not sitting into like how you would normally sit. You sit upright, you sit a little like skewed so you're only on kind of one butt cheek. And then you spend a good half hour letting your arms hang and checking in with your body all over. And you start doing this thing where you're just sort of like arbitrarily moving your body around to see where there is tension. And you get eventually, as you practice that, you get to this state of total, like, well, not total, but you're trying to get to this sort of state of totally relaxed and neutral with no tension in your body, but you're also connected to your body. It's a really interesting exercise and thing to go through over a long period of time. I was with that school for about a year. And you get to this point where you can really quickly snap into it. You can sit there and go, okay, give me like 30 seconds. And then you're like, ooh, I'm there. And she, what she's doing in a lot of the film feels like the result that I've seen with that type of exercise. She's the kind of presence. She's super present. Her face is very relaxed. Her eyes are open and clear, which is mm-hmm. a thing that you see end up happen over time as people pr- do this method. Um, and I wonder, I would g- go back and watch. There's another thing that that is sort of the next thing that, that you're taught, which is sense memory stuff. And so before you get into the actual memory part of that, you start just trying to experience senses. So you imagine senses. So you like sit there and you imagine sun on your face, right? And you you get that, you practice that method of like tapping into your your physical senses. Your physical so in the senses. case of this, it's like she's really reacting to a ghost when she sees it. <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, she's really present and you can kind of feel it. I think that's what we're feeling. And I wonder if she just, you know, well, this is a byproduct of her training something um else about the strasberg training that they mentioned in one of the special features and be curious if um if you say this is true too but they said um that she a big part of the strasberg method was um 
always involving reacting against who you're acting alongside and who, who you are interacting with something, something in those regards so that they sort of came up against a wall when they were talking about, okay, well, this is a movie where you're essentially not actually interacting with anyone the whole time you're dead. And <laughs> that kind of, that kind of threw her for a loop for a sec, they said, but then like, she was so just good at, you know, asking the right questions for herself on the situation yeah. that, um, that they that she did great. Yeah, I think that part of if I remember correctly, part of the point of the the methodology that you're going through with Strasberg stuff is you're doing all these things so that you can be totally present with the other person and open to react to what they're experiencing. And so mm-hmm. it really grounds you in this sense of reality. You're in your body, but you're also super open to what they're presenting you with so you can react actually um so yeah i mean that's it's pretty interesting i mean there's another whole thing uh in the method of um you can actually see scenes with famous strasberg people or the actor studio people where you can see them have holding their hand like under a desk or whatever and like part of the personal object thing is that you imagine you're holding on to some personal object that made was important to you and you're using that like tactile memory of how that thing would feel in your hand to um kind of compel how you are feeling in the scene well she sure is feeling it uh another one of my favorite bits is just how it all culminates where she kind of arrives at this dance that she envisioned earlier where it's just like the classic i loved it um where when I say classic is where you're like assaulted by maybe a group, a sinister group. And it's like, and then you, you know, can't do anything but fall and get, um, get just, uh, uh consumed, consumed. <laughs> and it's just the classic, like them coming down, uh, covering the camera to black. Um, but yeah. it was just like that, having that set up halfway through of this dance really getting to me and how they all were like moving in fast motion and then just to be there and chased by them. Yeah. It was like, ah, yeah, get away. And, um, all she could do was run out to the ocean. And then I kind of mentioned it briefly earlier, but I loved it and almost would have been fine. I mean, it, with it just as, um, that the ending and not the, um, the river, you know, her being in the river too, but that was just so cool. I loved that so much. Cause maybe I'm always coming from the side of like people going, um, Oh yeah, whatever. She's just dead the whole time. So to have that ending where they follow her tracks out and no one is there or, or her body is not there, but you see where her body was and there are no steps leading away. It's just like, I yeah. loved all these, you know, all these people, however, you know, the adjectives we used to describe them, these fucking guys basically being like <laughs> put up in this inexplicable situation with like, just to give them that little bit of hint of like, Oh, maybe she actually wasn't crazy. Maybe doctor, you should have actually like listened to her and not just like drawn pictures or whatever you're doing with your back towards her. Like, <laughs> I it, think that we doctor, know what he was doing. <laughs> that doctor too is just so like, <laughs> Also, just like, ah, just get your hands off her. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that the, their reaction to being like, well, the, the, you know, her body was here and the track stop. And all right, back to work. <laughs> and we mentioned, um, <laughs> mentioned this a lot, but, you know, even from probably, you know, uh, 10 years outside of this film, like you 
absolutely see the ending coming, it's going to be something like, oh, yep, she's still in it at the end. Like we always say, yeah, but when you do that first or early enough, that's right. It's, it it works. It's 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 it in its purest form. Yeah. Um. And that yeah definitely takes the cake there for me too. It's yeah. Great. I think the the only the last thing in in that sequence that we mentioned, you know, the the chase around and under under the pier stuff is really fuck I just the environment of all that entire sequence is really great. And I love that we get to see her ghoul form or whatever you want to call it dancing with the guy. She gets to see herself in that form and that's really sort of the culmination of the whole thing and it's yeah. just great it's it's cool and it's shot for me, really um, well and yeah. for me being like a california kid too there's always something like a little scary or de- disconcerting about like the idea of being in the middle of and totally separate from your oceans um so and so to have a lar- a body of water that's not the ocean, hmm. it it can just feel a little more like imitation or something like that. It's weird. I know it's it's not like that. Lakes are real, but <laughs> they're great too. I love lakes. <laughs> but just something about the like building this thing around this lake, and I'll, I'll tell you in the things of note a bit like about why it was made initially, which just brings this whole artificiality to it all. Um, you know, yeah. that's an interesting concept because. I don't know why abandoned sort of lakefront or oceanfront like places like that, boardwalks. Like if you ever been to, well, I'm sure you have been to like the Santa Cruz boardwalk, <laughs> like so early in the morning that nobody's there, and it feels yeah. wrong because and it's known night. as a place where lots of people are. That's how you know it. So when you take the people out, it feels there's a ghostliness to it. And I've yeah, always like, loved that. That's why I love ghost towns. Like that that kind of setting is super, super pleasing. That's how Disneyland's looking like these days. Yeah. In quarantine. Like COVID-19. that movie. What's the Disneyland movie? Like the something about Tomorrowland yeah. or whatever. It's 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 cool. I think I recommend Dead at it at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's all I got classic great well let's move on then um i want to say more just to make the point of how much i i think it's good but um no need for that i've said what i've said (laughs) i'll just be digging further so let's move on to what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing It's hard because, like, Tim, as I said, everything that I was wanting that I was like, oh, yeah, it didn't work. This was bad. The looping's bad. How they're all beating up on her and putting her down. It's bad. I don't like it. Like, I can't say that. All that did work for yeah. me in the end as a horror movie, as, as in the overall feel of this. So, honestly, uh, maybe I'll agree with whatever you bring up, but I didn't have anything down. Well, you won't because you already said it was something that worked. For me, the, <laughs> <laughs> the organ music is super effective a lot of the time, but there are times when it seemed like it wasn't working. And I don't exactly know why. I think maybe it's just that the the sort of, you know, the the 
what would you call that? The feeling of the music was a little, of the actual organ was a little antithetical to what was going on in the moment. And I think maybe part of what it is is that because this is so Mary's story and we're so on board with her state of mind that at any time the music kind of, you know, moved away or wasn't quite matching her experience, I was like, eh, that feels wrong. Now, having said that, <laughs> maybe it's right because it continues to give us this sense of everything's wrong. I mean, what I love so, about it, why it, how the fact that it extends for me, it worked at like in that the carnival of souls isn't just this carnival. Okay. Huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an, it's an extension of so much more on, um, on a certain level. Yeah. This, this, the, whatever the carnival of souls means in its, its deep metaphor way, it's, uh, it's pervasive in this story. You know what? Oh, this is going to be a thing that, that works, I guess. So <laughs> fuck. Well, it just occurred to me that you can reverse the metaphor. Uh, what I mean by that is the idea of a carnival of souls, of a bunch of sort of tr trudging along kind of seemingly zombified beings. That's our world, baby. It's our world. Oh, That's fuck. What you see? You see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're not dead. They're representative of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Uh, or, you know, slave, slave to the idea of workism. Again, your value right. is, which is patriarchy, that idea of yeah. you have to extend oh, force and, always. And, yeah. And having that sort of old pasty dude be the main dude. I mean, maybe we're pulling this out of our, we're projecting our personal reality right now onto what the intention of the movie was. But it's also a but reality a then and before right, and right. between, like. Yeah. Um, hmm. Can I think of anything else that didn't work? You know, this is a dumb thing, but it really, really <laughs> bugs me when people are playing instruments in camera and they're, what they're doing doesn't, even come close to matching what the music is and it's only an issue because it's just distracting to me was it happening here in because the there's a, a long high to low over the shoulder like very high you know so i i remember view. that i remember that shot and thinking that and then Again, it just added to the overall effect because all yeah. I was doing was questioning, oh, wait, it, but as soon as I was thinking it didn't match, I'm like, oh, wait, no, it looked like it just did. And organs are kind of funny like that, they too. Are. I agree. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, that worked for me, too. I know I noticed that. Um, oh, I mean, <laughs> there are dumb continuity things for sure, but whatever. Like her hair is um, not wet when she gets out of the water. It's like, come on, guys, just dampen yeah, it Yeah, but she's a ghost, Tim, or something Fuck. like that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
Um, I'm really reaching here. I got nothing. Well, we, then that's fine. If we only talked about more things <laughs> that did work for what did not work, then so be it. I do have a good amount of things of note. Oh, so okay. Let's could... get into it. Great. All right. Here we go. Things of note. Things of note! <laughs> this should be interesting. Um, just for like, I guess more reporting back, there were whereas um, there are deleted scenes and uh, a whole like a half twenty seven minutes of um, outtakes, which basically is just like um, mis <laughs> deleted shots. I guess you have deleted scenes and deleted shots. But it was kind of interesting and um, uh, and is actually for different reasons that you had these deleted scenes. So you had um, a whole eight minute sequence right before I think it was either the the for middle, middle dance scene or the final dance scene of them like kind of he, he's describing it something as like the the pillars in the water them coming out of the water or something like that but something with an emerging ghouls that was deleted and then you just also had these little bits throughout that um were cut down just because of it was originally a double billing running time you know or that they were going for that then you know uh those those film those wherever that exists on film was lost or destroyed too so he only included that the and when i say he i mean the director herc herc harvey <laughs> that uh herc included uh re-edited back into the home video release but now the version like that is that home video release it's different because it was just video quality. So when you do the actual like restoration for DVD Blu-ray now or uh, restoration screenings now, it's um, missing the scenes from uh, that were put back in for the video, literal video release. But it was kind of fun uh, seeing, seeing all those. They're all on the Criterion channel with it or the Blu-ray if you get it. There is like her her running away from a, a van that like almost hits her because it doesn't see her just, just a lot more stuff of her kind of like going around, whether it's the department store or the town, um, just kind of a lot of, you know, missing heads and tails to different scenes, things like that. Um, Herc Harvey, you know, I already explained <laughs> his, uh, his, uh, him and John Clifford who wrote it were just, Buds working together at this this film company, you know, doing doing their thing, and they just decided. Hey, he said he was kind of inspired by, uh, as he said, Bob Altman. Robert Altman had just finished his first film, and I think had come from a similar background. So they're like, "Well, we should do that." So this is where the number <laughs> three. There's a weird thing with the number three uh, for this film, Tim. Uh, so he took a, so they wrote it in three weeks in their off hours. John Clifford wrote it. They took three weeks vacation to film it. And they took three weeks to edit it too. And it was a six person production crew with a AD, the DP, the sound person and two university of Kansas students. <laughs> um, the budget was yeah, 33,000. Yeah, and the budget. Sorry, forgot to put to that. The budget thirty three thousand. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. There's there's like a partial commentary I was listening to. He said uh, when the actor Candace like first showed up, and he had met her, she was like 
kind of dressed hippie light kind of style and had a certain quality to her where he's like, oh, this isn't right at all kind of thing. And he was trying to figure out how to how to let her go and to break it to her. But like the next day when they met or whatever, she just had a totally different feel and look to her. And he was all of a sudden like, oh, wait, this is the character. Cool. Um, the um, just just one thing on the threes, you know, our buddy, our boy, Zach Bagans would tell us that. You know, the threes are the mocking of the Holy Trilogy by Satan. So, or Holy Trinity. So just beware, this movie might be Satan. It's got those elements to it in there of this, uh, (laughs) you know, atheist being pushed up against the minister. It's cool. (laughs) And guess what the shooting ratio was, he said, for this film. (gasps) Uh, Three to one. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it was a double um, feature with the Devil's Messenger. So, uh, also a fun thing was like when the writer was asked, like, "Well, what? How do you attribute the success to this movie?" Those kinds of questions. Um, he just said that it was just as simple as like they just trusted their creative abilities and they weren't trying to replicate anything else. They weren't saying, "Oh, this worked. Let's try to do it." They were inspired by independent productions, sure. but they were pretty much like, "Hey, we've been making films forever now." Let's you. This guy has written a book. Let's just do it. That's the way um, to do it. And then they knew it was starting to kind of have a success when, as he put it, they started getting letters from young people wanting to know more about the production. <laughs> mm. And uh, it was really fun. Uh, Herc Harvey is actually one of the stars of the film. He plays the ghoul. I figured he would. The main guy. And he said he uh, his cameo was a matter of both ego and economics. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so many fun little ways they described of their gorilla shooting too were like the when she's in the dressing room, they played they paid the clerk twenty he just offered her, Hey, can we give you twenty five bucks to look the other way as we shoot this scene real quick? Is all they had to do. Um the guy at the beginning who started the drag race was also the production manager. Um, so this place, the pavilion was called salt air. One word, salt air. And, uh, one fan of the film they're interviewing described the background of salt air as it was the Mormons attempt at being normal, which is why I said like, maybe why this is like the kind of a, a creepy thing to this, but he sort of described it as this was like, you know, thing made by Salt Lake city Mormons and everything, but it was sort of there coming from is like, Hey, this kind of like dancing, boozing, all this kind of, you know, rowdiness associated with these kinds of things. It's like, <laughs> Hey, we can have just as much fun ourselves, you know, wow. straight laced Mormon fun. <laughs> um, reaction to that. Um, the, it had a mixed reaction when it was released initially, where in, in in the sense of the kind of picture that they painted was all the locals who they showed it to, anyone out there, were were just kind of like not crazy about it or didn't know what to make of it because they were viewing it as does is this a Hollywood film? Did they that was their standard of what a film should be? Hmm. So when they saw it, they were kind of like, oh, there's something about this feels different. It's not me, you know, so it's not a success in that sense. Yet in Hollywood, as he put it, everyone on the West Coast, he was saying on the coasts that they were into it because it had this independent sense to it and felt different. You know what else it reminds me a little bit of? Just a little bit, is eight and a half. Mm. 
It's got a little bit of that eeriness and floatiness and sort of like otherworldliness. That movie really, I was, I was, I don't know. It felt, made me feel weird. Eight and a half, like in a way that oh, yeah. felt not intentional. To, no, it's uh, a weird movie. <laughs> like this, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't into it. It really disturbed me in a way that like this movie, it's a horror movie. I felt like in the end it's, what was that? Was that quote I said, like, was it last week's movie? That was something like, um, the scariest thing, the scariest movies are movies that aren't horror movies or something like that. <laughs> Forget what that context was. Yeah. Anyways, um, the, it was great. There was this whole little documentary, um, on the reunion screening that they had. That was like the first time they're all seeing each other 27 years later when it got its like, I think 89, re-release. And they were talking to one of the original investors at the screening. It was just fun hearing him talk about it where he was like, well, yeah, we, you know, we're in the real estate business and these were good customers who need some help making this film. We thought they had talent and we just thought it'd be exciting and be a nice break from real estate so when you hear of like um you know and trying to raise money for films it's true it's like it's just about getting people it's not because they're necessarily expecting to get their money back it's because it seems fun or exciting and they or they want to see the movie you know yeah or just be a part um, of making a thing yeah exactly believe in the filmmakers yeah um yeah and during it's kind of growing cult status over the years it was fun to hear the actor candace um what's her full name candace hill Hil hilligoss hilligoss played it. <laughs> her talking about where she opened uh, the newspaper or whatever magazine and started reading saw a headline that said the film that wouldn't die and she started and was like oh what is that and then once she realized it was her movie you <laughs> know she had acted and had anything else just like freaked out and was super excited saw her picture on the next page or whatever <laughs> it was fun yeah um the guy who plays John, it was fun to kind of hear him talk about oh, playing the character. <laughs> he said he was kind of laughing at, uh, he had heard his character described as the definitive study of a nerd in lust and a greasy on the make dude. Or <laughs> two descriptions of his character that stuck <laughs> On the make. <laughs> <laughs> definitive study of a nerd in lust. Um, and uh, he back in late 80s, whatever, wanted to be the chairman of the University of Houston drama department. Hmm. Good for him. Uh, he also got compliments on kind of that shot or someone noted to him that shot of the close-up of his eye, like, leering at her. How they were like, oh, man, that looks like, looks so glazed over and creepy. Like, I didn't know, what were you doing for that? And it's because that was not a real eye or it's a dead eye. Like, that eye doesn't work. It was, so, <laughs> when he was, uh, couldn't actually see anything through that eye. What? Which explains why it had maybe that kind of look to it. What the fuck? Which I noticed, you see, like, super, like, early when we're meeting him, you can kind of see his eye, you know, delay or whatever a little bit. But then you don't really, it wow. doesn't do it too much. You don't notice it later. I can't believe I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I've kind of, you're pretty attuned to things like that. Um... Salt Air, it's just like one of those classic locations where it's like it just has a history of always burning down and getting <laughs> rebuilt, you know, at any given time. It's still but, around. Uh, so act, I don't know if it's still still around, but back in um, what was the year in 83, it got um, they rebuilt it for the 80s crowd or whatever. And one year later, after rebuilding it after so long, it didn't get burned down, but the Salt Lake, it rose up and kind of turned all swampy. It basically 
got stuck in the water. It got flooded. Whoa. <laughs> Destroyed at that time, or the opposite of a fire. Hmm. Um, and then I have one more thing. Do you want to hear it? Do you have anything? God, I just want you to hit me with it so hard. All right. Well, I saved it for last because I think it was really cool as far as just an example of reinforcing, you know, people want to know just like, okay, so what was the twist? Oh, yeah. So that's what it was. You know, a kind of definitive answer on these things that, no, the, the horror in it lies that there is no answer. It's open for interpretation. Um, <laughs> and a, a part of like that kind of attitude of like wanting the certainty is like, oh, you know, you just ask the filmmakers like what their intent was. So all they really talk about is, um, you know, their intent was just to make a good movie, but inspired by this, inspired by that. But as, And they said they liked that it was open to interpretation. But then a lot of those further fan questions about what their intent was, they're basically like, uh, you know, at, this was interviews with um, them 30 years after, 27 years after. They're kind of like, I don't, I don't really remember all that. Or like who decided on this line to do it, the certain decisions. They just don't remember. So I just love the idea that, within you you can't consult the filmmakers you know rather than forcing a filmmaker to be like it's open to interpretation just chill people like just try interpreting it yourself for once it's like a, a for it's forcing anyone with that instinct to just accept that because there is no definitive answer from the filmmakers involved because they simply don't remember i just um i, I love that about it i you know that makes me think of i've always had this sense of like you know, in, in some of the scripts that I've worked on and, you know, the intention that I have behind them and then thinking about whether or not people are going to pick up on that or they're going to pick up on other things that I didn't think of or whatever. And then having that imaginary discussion where it's like you're in a scenario where somebody goes, so when you were doing this, like, did you mean <laughs> to do the blah, blah, whatever? And I always think if I'm going to be in that position, I kind of just want to answer with, well, what do you think? Like, yeah. <laughs> how did, you know, it doesn't really matter if it was my intention or if I meant to do that thing. Are you getting that thing from the art? Great. Then yes. It's, <laughs> it's, it just <laughs> kind know? of informs the idea too. You just do your best, make a good movie. Those things will follow. Right. Interpretations, you know, ways to look at it that you didn't, but are still correct to it. Yeah. You know, things like it's possible to put things in a movie that you didn't realize you're putting in and still be the one to put them in or whatever. Yep. Um, Did you oh, watch also, the, uh, the remake of this movie? I didn't know that existed. <laughs> <laughs> 1998. I'm kind of afraid to I bet know it about is. it. Well, it's it's. Produced by Wes Craven, if that makes any difference. I don't know. No. A lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of horror filmmakers produced by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Guillermo del exactly. Toro. You know, like okay. Um, I bet it is presents awful, but I, I you know I'm going to reserve judgment. Oh, actually, a last couple things on. Um, it was just fun hearing from the writer too, like basically defending it at the time and making the points like, hey, you know, everyone now, they say that you see the twist coming and that's kind of a given. He said, not only at the time for 1962, was that just not true, but he, when he didn't know that ending, when he wrote that beginning, he, you know, just as a, when working on it, just kind of did a version writing from beginning to end. And 
that just brought up the question for me. It's like, oh, it's kind of interesting when is any of that infused in the film itself, that energy of like the fact that he didn't know where it was ending mm. when it started. Is that help the beginning kind of set it off on the right trajectory of, you know, um, <laughs> you know, he didn't see the writer didn't see it coming. So does that make lend itself to the movie and uh, yeah, not seeing it coming? You know, um, I just had a thought too. This movie is basically Beetlejuice. It's a lot of things. But why Beetlejuice, another one of my favorite films? <laughs> Just because they, you know, they drive off of a bridge and die. and Yeah. And then they're caught in this weird sort of limbo state. Yeah. That's it. That's, it. <laughs> totally. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> I like they're making comparisons the to on something. The on the man is kind of like the makeup on Michael Keaton. Yeah, <laughs> right. You're right. Kinda. Oh, by the way, it was so funny. You know, I'm talking about kind of a her Carvies that you know their professionalism, but brought to their love of the ghoulish and silly. Uh, at this this years later, three decades later uh, anniversary screening, he was wearing his full makeup. It's like <laughs> amazing. <laughs> his voice is so just like like very just direct. You know exactly yeah. who you'd expect to narrate and make these kind of industrial films. That's funny. So it was fun seeing that. Oh, and then uh, the the their uh, their deal with the the. Um, the city for being able to drive the car off the bridge was oh, yeah. they're like, okay, all you got to do the stipulation is you got to get the car out of the water and you got to pay to fix the bridge. So they were worried, okay, it's going to be a big expense for our budget fixing the bridge. He got a bill to fix the bridge for $12. What? <laughs> Just basic like get some things wood of, and some bolts fellas yeah exactly so <laughs> pretty funny amazing even by 62 standards not that bad on their thirty-three thousand yeah. budget cool i mean you do realize that twelve dollars in 1962 is like eighty four thousand dollars today <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> pocket change either way right cool dude great well i yeah thank you carnival of souls and and Herc, and <laughs> and John, and of course Candace, and everyone involved. Good yeah, work, good job, guys. You did it. Candace is still around. She's eighty four. She's kicking it. Cool. Yeah, he said uh, at least back in eighty nine ninety, she was living in Beverly Hills, writing. Yeah, she. I just looked her up. She she's you know she makes appearances and does signings and stuff like that. She's she's out there and active. She's got a website, all that fun stuff. Cool. All right, Tim. Well, should we move on to Carnival of Souls and see if we have any recommendations? And then we aren't going to pull a film if you want to. I don't know. We can pull a film and do it for two weeks from now, two episodes from now, or just not pull it, pull out the end of next film. Let's just ring the bell in, in, uh, what do you call that? In, uh, <laughs> honor of the movie that we're not going to watch because it's Great. our hundredth episode. Ready? Yeah. Our bell, our skull bike bell means, uh, usually is reserved for going to see a movie in theaters. But I, in this case, it can also just mean, uh, we are not. It's a solidarity be... bell right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, what's your recommendation? Ah, which one should I do? I've watched a couple good things lately. I'm going to do, okay, I'm going to do Perry Mason, the, um, 
what's it called? The HBO series that just started up. I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Um, there's only two episodes out so far. But oh, it's, cool. Set, it's, set in 1932 Los Angeles. Yeah, cool. It's cool and it is dark. Woo! Um, I'm not going to say anything because that would, uh, that would ruin it for all y'all. Is it just to get me excited to watch it or not? Um, does it capture old LA well and you see it, it and feel it? It does to a degree. There are certain things that it's not, um, it's not overtly being like, see, see old LA, see, 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 see. But it's it's giving you the feeling of it. So they're picking their set cool. locations well. Um, the I will say that they're the the case that he starts on um, the initial event, so to speak, takes place on the Angeles Flight Railway, which is a sort of a tourist spot in downtown L.A. Um, and that all looks really good. Like they've I don't know how they did it if they did sort of they sort of comped out the the actual surrounding buildings and and put in you know comped in old old school buildings there because those are definitely not there anymore but the or or if they just made a a model of the the thing i don't know but it looks awesome so cool yeah it it's it's really quite good and you know be prepared like we know perry mason is sort of like a courtroom drama this is more of a pi like detective story, which is awesome. so my thing. Cool. <laughs> like I fucking cool. love it. So, and it's great. The actors are all great. And, uh, you know, the story is freaky and creepy and, you know, hopefully it, it continues to be good. Awesome. I will recommend Ed from 1990. Have you heard of Paris is burning documentary? I have heard of it, but it's, it's really cool. It's all about like New York's, black Latinx um, uh, drag ball scene where they had like, there's this whole incredible culture of like different houses that compete in these elaborate themed balls, like fashion shows almost, or like, you know, performances kind of thing. And it's just, it was just like, you know, everyone in it is just like so fascinating. It's such a character and just delivers this kind of, they kind of go like, okay, here's, you know, this term that only exists in this, this, um, this, this world and, uh, explains it kind of thing. So it's, it's so much fun just to like pick up on the lingo and just neat, neat entering this whole world that, um, uh, well, I mean, since it's, you know, 80s scene it's it's the scene that started i think in like the 50s or 60s but then kind of i think started to die out sort of after this you know the 90s came along but uh super cool fun snapshot and all that on that community paris is burning nice by uh directed by jenny livingston who's like straight out of film school put the money together um yeah it's cool nice 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 all right. Well, yeah, we rang the bike bell. We're not pulling the film. We've been on a good string recently after some some clunkers. Yeah, right. Um, so we'll be excited to see what uh, episode 101 brings us film-wise, what starts us off on our new, not decade, whatever you call it. Um, 
And then, yeah, tune in. We'll be reflecting back next week <laughs> on our first 99 episodes. Maybe Carnival of Souls will show up. And everything from Babysitter, episode one, to Carnival of Souls, episode 99. Woo. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, Tim and I will talk about it. We're going to come up with some fun stuff. It's cool. It's like we've basically done this for two years. Time flies, man. It's wild. Yeah. Right. Great. Well, we'll we'll end this as we always do and just say, uh, if you enjoyed this, please tell a friend. But uh, if not, that's fine because your listenership means a lot. It means... Uh, <laughs> Means, means it means it all <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> whatever that means to you thank you yeah thank you yeah thank you very much for listening and being here and we'll see you next time goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>